1: Good morning, church. Amen. In India, when somebody comes up front, they greet by saying hallelujah, and then the, the congregation responds. So let me try that. Hallelujah. hallelujah. Now that's pretty good, but that's in English. So let's try Hindi. So I'll say Jay Masiki, and you say it back. Jay Masiki. Jay Masiki. All right, now we'll try Telugu. See if you can do this. Dewaniki Stotram. Hallelujah is the right response. <laughs> well, this is an important weekend in the life of Covenant Church, and it's not because I'm here preaching, it's because we're, we're talking about prayer. And the focus this week is, is on God's people spending uh, a life of prayer with God the Father. Yesterday, we trained over 40 of your people in the Lord's Prayer, and uh, today, uh, we're meeting with uh, uh, over 35 of your leaders to talk about and to work on making prayer part of every ministry, every meeting, every aspect of the life of this church, and it's so exciting to me that this Wednesday you're going to apply all these things as a congregation, not just a. 40 or so were training, but all of you coming back for a concert of prayer as we seek the Father's face. Uh, This month, I've had over 50 of my friends receiving a daily text from me, um, inviting them to pray. They committed to pray daily for you as I come to not only bring the word, but to focus on prayer. And of all the things that the apostles needed to learn from Jesus, the one thing, actually, the only thing that's recorded in the Gospels that they ask to be taught is to pray. We just read that. Jonathan just read that to you. And, and the fact that that's the only thing they ask tells me three things immediately. Number one, that it's important. Number two, that it must be hard. And number three, that when Jesus prayed, he wasn't simply repeating the Lord's prayer mindlessly, but something else was going on. So imagine the prayer life of Jesus. You know, the disciples were already men of prayer. Old Testament Judaism was a religious culture built around set prayer times, set prayers at set times every day, morning, afternoon, and evening. The, the longest book in your Bible is the book of Psalms. It's a, it's a book of prayer. The, the longest chapter in the Bible is Psalm 119, and, and that's a prayer. Now, these are religious men who pray every day, but when they encounter the prayer life of Jesus, they want more. They want better. It, it, it's a holy jealousy, I think. They, they want to pray like Jesus. So in our passage... Jesus tells them four things. First, he reviews the outline of the disciples' prayer. We, we call it the Lord's Prayer, and, and it's a review because he first gave them this outline in the Sermon on the Mount at the beginning of his ministry. I, I'm sure he's told them this more than once. And, and we covered the seven petitions of the Lord's Prayer yesterday in our prayer training. And, and this morning, we're gonna look at the other three things that he told them, the, the command to pray, and then two parables about prayer. So I have three points for you this morning, three things about the gospel I, I, I'd like to share. The what, the how, and and the why of prayer. So, first, the what of prayer, a, a lifestyle of prayer. In verse nine, Jesus says, And I tell you, ask and it will be given you, seek and you will find, knock and it will be opened to you. Now, I, I don't know about you, but I slept through high school English, and uh, I'm really thankful for the Cliff Notes it got me through uh, first american literature and then through english literature so that i could at least graduate and go to college I, i'm a math guy and and, and an engineer and uh, you know it's god's good humor that now what i do is i read and i write and i teach for a living uh, But I want to show you that the grammar in verse 9 is really important. There there are three imperatives here, three commands, and then there are three indicatives, three gospel facts. And and that's how the gospel works. The commands of Scripture are always built on a foundation of the facts of the gospel, of the facts of Scripture. So so the first command, Jesus says, ask. Ask. Now, why should we ask? Well, it's very simple because that's how you receive. Then the second command, Jesus says, seek, because that's how you find. And, and the third command, Jesus says, knock. Well, that's how you get through the door. So it's just common sense, right? Well, another way to say this is that Jesus commands us to pray because that's how grace is given. That's how grace is enjoyed. In other words, ask because that's how God gives you his grace. Seek because that's how God reveals his grace to us. Knock because that's how God welcomes you to the fullness of his grace. And so the implications of this, the implications are incredible. These commands to pray are given without reservation. Without exceptions, without rebuttal, and and without reproach, God doesn't say, don't ask me, go ask your mother. He says, he says, ask. In fact, the Apostle James says, you have not because you ask not. So if there's any boundary to this command to pray, it's simply the Lord's Prayer. In other words, the seven petitions of the Lord's Prayer is the subject matter of our prayer as Jesus commands us to ask, to seek, and to knock. And here those seven petitions are. The the pleasure of gospel sonship, our Father. The worship and union of holiness. The the fame of the name of Jesus as we ask God to exalt his name. Uh, Evangelism and mission as we pray about the kingdom. Uh, Obedience revealed in love and mercy and justice as we pray that his will would be done. Uh, 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 Generous bread, daily generous bread, uh, uh, getting us to pray for contentment and satisfaction and thanksgiving, and simplicity, and then reconciliation. And, and really, that that's thats the hardest part of the prayer right there, reconciliation. Jesus mentions it twice in Matthew six, and he instructs us to pray and ask God to use us as the standard of forgiveness. Father, forgive us as we forgive others. That, that's a hardcore thing to pray. Lord, make me the standard of my own forgiveness. And then the seventh petition is about spiritual warfare and trials and temptations and perseverance. And God promises to answer these prayers and so what does he do? Well, he commands us to pray. Now, a second thing I wanted to show you about the grammar is that uh, Hebrew poetry and preaching often come in two-part parallels. This is one of the things that you have to learn when you finally get to seminary and you learn that, oh, I I gotta learn grammar again to to read my Bible. And so a a whole lot of the Bible comes in two-part, two-line parallelisms. They're all over the scripture, it abounds. It's in the Psalms, it's in the Proverbs, it's throughout the prophets. Anywhere there's poetry, it's almost always there. And the preachers use this as a device because it's a great memory tool. And so in a two-line parallel, the second line always clarifies the first line. And Jesus does that here. So what Jesus does is he commands us to ask in verse 9. And then he goes to the future tense and he says, because God will give us grace in the future. Now that's so good. But then in verse 9, verse 10, he, Jesus clarifies and he tells us to keep asking. He, instead of a command, he uses what's called a participle, which is something that is ongoing motion, ongoing action, and then he uses a present tense because God is already giving us grace. So let me say it again. Jesus commands us to ask because God will give us grace in the future, and then he says Keep on asking because God is already giving us His grace. Now, isn't that amazing? God always moves first. Before you even ask, He's giving you grace. And then He asks you to ask because you see, prayer begins in heaven, it goes to us, and then it goes back to heaven. And what this means, beloved, is that we are being commanded to make asking a lifestyle we're being commanded to make seeking a lifestyle we are being commanded to make knocking a lifestyle which means that prayer itself is commanded to be a lifestyle something that's just part of living as much as eating and breathing and working and we're we're being commanded to pray because this is how God shares the joy of his glory and his grace with us, which is why this is such an important time in the life of this church because God is directing many of you, in fact, he may be directing most of you to make a lifestyle change that will increase your joy that will increase your enjoyment of his favor and his grace in prayer. It, it, it's so good. And so then after Jesus commands them, he tells them two parables, two parables to help us understand a lifestyle of prayer. So that's my second point this morning, is the, the first parable. This is the how of prayer. And this is the parable of the shameless intercessor. Verse five says, and he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. And I tell you, so he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and get him whatever he needs. So this is, a, this is one of the most simple parables that Jesus tells, really simple. There's three friends, a needy friend, a friend with abundance, and a friend who knows both. And, and this parable is about the middle friend who knows both. Now, in a Middle Eastern culture and an Asian culture, uh, like we find in the Gospels, if someone comes to visit you, even unannounced and unplanned, it is your cultural responsibility to care for them, to ask them to eat, to ask them to stay. Hospitality demands it. Good form demands it. Honor demands it. And and any need that they have that they come with is now your need. It's shared. That's how the culture works. Which means if you fail to welcome them, if you fail to feed them, if you fail to take care of their needs, then you are embarrassed and you lose honor and you lose face. So the host here, the, the middle friend, is in real cultural trouble because he must help, yet he has no way to help. and The only thing he can do then is to find a friend who is able to help. But now he has another problem, right? It's also bad form to go to your friend at midnight to ask for help. and In India, not necessarily in the big cities, but in the villages, the whole world shuts down at 10 o'clock. That They have evening um, sales and stands open to buy goods and all that, but by 10 o'clock, the world is dark, and the lights are turned out, and everybody's in bed, and they sleep with their children, so the whole family is asleep. So either way, he will be embarrassed, and he's going to lose face by breaking cultural norms. So it's a dilemma. Uh, So what would you do? Well, if he doesn't provide for his visiting friend, he is guaranteed to lose face and be dishonored. If he takes the risk and goes to the friend with bread, he, he may be able to save face with his needy friend, but his generous friend will then be upset. So his only hope is that the generous friend won't really care. So now what would you do? Well, Jesus says that the man is impudent. Another word for that is shameless. He has no shame. In other words, he is willing to take the risk in order to meet the need. He is willing to set aside and absorb shame for the sake of helping another, for helping a needy friend. Now, I work for Equipping Leaders International, and we're required to raise support. If you look in the bank accounts at ELI, there's nothing. Only the money that's put in there by our generous friends. And there's about 30 of us on staff, so we have to raise our own support. Salary, housing, benefits, ministry expenses, everything. So to be a successful support raiser, well, it mainly requires that you be impudent. You, you have to be shameless. And I am. <laughs> if you know me, you know it's so. So, you see, here's the dilemma as a support raiser. You either have to lose face at home with my, I, I can lose face at home with my wife by not raising support, and then I have to send her out to go to work to meet our needs. Or... I can lose face overseas and say no to many invitations to do ministry, or I can lose face with potential friends and generous donors. So which would you choose? Well, the struggle is, is that some of our support raising staff would rather lose face with their wife because she'll forgive, right? She has to. Well, I think the choice is clear. The only way I can do the ministry is to be shameless with generous friends. And you see, I learned it from the gospel. Almost every parable has a Christ figure. Something about this parable is asking us to respond to Jesus. And so the question is, who is the Christ figure in this parable? Jesus is either the needy friend He's the shameless friend, or he's the generous friend. Now, which one is he? Well, usually when I ask that question, people quickly say, he's the generous friend, because you know, Jesus is Lord of everything, and he has all the bread. He's the one who gives bread. But that wouldn't be right here, you see, because this is about the shameless friend who intercedes to get bread for his needy friend. Beloved, Jesus is Is the shameless, impudent friend. Jesus is the shameless intercessor. And that's what the cross is all about. He bears our shame, He takes our sorrow, He intercedes for us. That's why the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 12, It'll go up on the screen in a second. There it is. Look to Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of power, the throne of God. You see, Jesus loses face on our behalf and in our place so that we can get access to God. He is the great intercessor. He's the friend who delivers bread. He he is inviting us to be shameless with him, beloved. He is inviting us to be shameless with him and join him as intercessors and to pray kingdom prayers shamelessly and repeatedly. For others. That's the heart of this parable. That's what Jesus is telling us. And the reason, the reason that we can say yes, and the reason that we should say yes, is that Jesus has already taken our shame. There is no shame in intercession because Jesus is the shameless intercessor. He gives us gospel power to be shameless intercessors because there is no shame for the friends of God to repeatedly knock on heaven's door on behalf of someone else. In fact, we are commanded to do it. The invitation to prayer, the command to prayer is the invitation to pray the Lord's prayer for the glory of God, for the expansion of his kingdom and for the good of others. And not just to pray for your sick friends, but to pray for those who need to know the love of a good father. For, for those who need holiness and sanctification. For, for those who, who are doing mission or or need the courage to do mission for your five friends that we're all praying for to come to faith, For, for those who are struggling to love mercy and to do justice, for those who have an evil eye towards generosity and are holding on to our money, for those who are bitter and unable to reconcile, and maybe even refuse to reconcile because anger feels good, and to pray for friends around the world engaged in spiritual warfare who are under oppression from the enemy due to persecution. You know, one simple application to be a shameless intercessor is to prayer chart the Lord's Prayer As we taught you yesterday, and if you weren't there, and most of you weren't, then ask somebody who was, ask the staff, ask your leaders to teach you how to use the Lord's Prayer, to be a shameless intercessor, because that's what we're called to be. And then Jesus tells another parable, and that takes us to the third thing I want to show you is the why of prayer, the good Father. Father. Verse 11 says, what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This parable is another simple preaching technique that's found throughout the Bible an argument from the lesser to the greater. Here's how it goes. If you imperfect fathers answer the prayers of your children and give them good rather than bad, don't you think that the perfect father answers the prayers of his children and gives them good rather than bad? Well, of course he does. In fact, your heavenly Father, beloved, does it more and better than you. That's the promise of prayer. Ask, seek, and knock, because God loves to share himself with us and answer our prayers. And so the question that demands asking is, why are we not praying? If prayer connects us to the love of God, if prayer is how God shares Himself with us, then why is prayer not the central aspect of our lives and even most of our churches? Even the traditional prayer meeting in most of our churches is gone. I travel a lot of them in many PCA churches. We're not praying. That doesn't mean we're not praying at all. You get that, right? But it's no longer the central focus of the life of the church. Even the traditional prayer meeting is gone. I'm so thankful that you had a prayer meeting this morning here. I forgot to ask how many people showed up. I bet it was less than 20, but I'm not sure. If it was 20, that's actually really good. In most of our churches. So why is prayer so limited to illness? You know, in 30 years of leading worship and asking for prayer requests, you know what 90% of those requests are? For, for healing. We call those organ recitals. You get it? organ recitals. That's what most of our prayer is about. I think it's because in a comfortable, prosperous society, that's about all we feel out of control of is illness. I have never in 30 years of leading worship have somebody raise their hand and say, my neighbor is really confused and lost. Would you pray for me that I would have the wisdom to share the gospel and the good news with my needy friend? Never once, Well, there's two reasons I think we're not praying. First is because of simple unbelief. Really, we, we doubt God's love, and we think God is less interesting than other things in our life, like sleep, or Netflix, or, or Kindle, or ESPN, or work, or kids, or whatever dominates your life. He's just not very interesting, And I I had a friend in the hospital once, and after visiting him, I I rode down to the lobby in the elevator with his aunt, and and she was extraordinarily worried. And and I I said this to comfort her. I said, I'm sure of one thing. I know that God loves my friend more than you or me or anyone else. And she says, I I don't see how he could. I, I just love him so much. Beloved, God loves you. He he loves you, and he loves you not because of you, but because of him. And, And he loves you more than anyone else loves you, and he loves you more than you could love anyone else. And it's a steadfast, never ending love. In fact, nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. If there is any doubt, just look at the cross. Here's what Romans 8, Romans 5 and verse 8 says God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Not for friends, not for family, but for enemies. That's who Christ died for. He is the shameless intercessor. And the second reason we don't pray is simply because of sin and how it makes us feel. Because of guilt, because of shame, because of fear. You see, if ask, seek, and knock is the holy trinity of prayer, then guilt, shame, and fear is the trifecta of prayerlessness. I can't ask. I can't ask because, well, because I'm burdened with guilt. God's not gonna answer my prayers, I'm not worthy. We don't seek because we're full of shame. Do you know what I've done? Do Do you know what I've said? Do you know what I've looked at on my tablet? And we dare not knock because we're afraid that God will really open the door and what we'll get is a beating and we'll be swept away as he fusses at me for my foolishness. But you see, it's not true. Beloved, it's not true. God invites us to prayer because of our guilt and shame and fear. Where else are you gonna take it? Only he can take it away. Run to him in prayer. Run. And and the Jesus figure in this parable, you know who it is, right? It's really easy. It's the son who gets the Holy Spirit. And Jesus shares his sonship with us and we get the Holy Spirit to live within us and we have access to a good, good, good father. But you know, there is bad news, beloved. There is bad news. You see, if prayerlessness generally describes your life and your prayers are limited to just the sick, then well, then what you're missing is the joy. You're missing joy. The, the joy of God's grace and glory as he shares it with us in fullness to those who knock. You may be saved and you may be heaven bound, but if your life is dominated by other things like work or TV or kids or even church ministry, then that's where your joy will come from, those things. And beloved, the burden of joy is overwhelming without prayer. It just is. And did you notice that for the timid intercessor? Well, the door is still shut. He just says, oh, sorry. And he walks away empty. But for the shameless intercessor, the door is always wide open. And, and, and the further bad news is that if sin and unbelief are keeping you from prayer, then maybe you don't know God at all. And that would be really bad. Not only are you denied access in prayer, but you're denied access in heavenly places. Well, there is good news, beloved. It's an incredible good news. Jesus says, behold, I make all things new. Jesus died on a cross for our sin, even the sin of prayerlessness, even the sin of not being relentless to ask, seek, and knock. And he rose from the dead to give you new life and to share his glory and grace with you. And to give you the joy, the incredible joy of his presence in prayer. And he will give you the power to make prayer your lifestyle if you ask him and keep on asking him. And so I invite you to ask him today to trust in the Lord in fullness and more fullness today. Jesus says, behold, I stand at the door and he's knocking. He says, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. You know, the one prayer that God guarantees he will always answer no matter what is he will give you more of himself. He will give you the Holy Spirit if you ask. That's what Jesus says right there in verse 13. If you ask him for more of him, he will give it to you. And did you notice this also, that if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus, then the shameless intercessor already lives inside of you. The power is already there, not from yourself, but from him, he's there. So what we're asking him to do is to strengthen us, to turn away from our idols and to pray, to ask and seek and knock, to keep asking, to keep seeking, to keep knocking, to be like him, and to share in his glory as a shameless intercessor. Here's what the apostle Paul says in Galatians 2. and verse 20, he says, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. He is the one making intercession through me, and in me, and for me, and for others. Beloved, oh beloved, if God really loves you, if God loves you and he really loves you, and you believe he does, right? If God loves you and really loves you, what's the best gift he could give you? Well, he would give you himself. And he has, and he does, and he will. And that is why we choose a lifestyle of prayer. And that, my friends, is the glorious grace of the gospel. Let's stand for prayer. Our Father, we are incredibly blessed to be your sons. Firstborn sons whom Jesus shares himself with completely as the shameless intercessor. And, and, and we are blessed beyond our ability to even understand it, Lord. We're spending our whole life trying to understand this, not so that we'll be strong, but so that we'll be weak, so that we'll seek you in prayer, and not to seek our own honor, but to seek your honor. And as we humble ourselves before you, Lord, and worry less about ourselves and our own honor, Lord, you'll show us more of yourself, and that's what we're praying for, that you would show us more of yourself so that we might be those who hunger and thirst to know Jesus. Lord, I pray for this church, that this week of focusing on prayer would be pushing the ball, the rock, to the top of the hill so that it can just roll down the other side. And that prayer would become the central and the key organizing theme in the life of this church. And for that to happen, it has to be in the leaders, and then they have to train the people, Lord. So would you bring the power of your Spirit to your beloved congregation here and elevate and exalt the fame of Jesus in prayer? We pray it would be so, and when you do it, we'll gladly give you all the glory. And we pray it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said... Amen.